Welcome to Finding Emo, our podcast where we discuss our favorite albums from the early odds and thereabouts. My name is Blake Fisher. I'm joined by Kyle Simmons and Chris Monier. And uh, we are thrilled that you're here listening. And uh, we we squeezed this one in before I go to Mexico at like 4.40 tomorrow morning. Uh, So this is how much we are committed to the two-week release schedule, guys. We are. I'm doing Once again. Once again, oh, yeah. we weren't for the last episode, but we are again. We went from being loosely committed to so committed. But like we couldn't miss two in a row. That was well, going to be bad. If we like had a month gap between, yeah, that'd be bad. So, But anyway. what they don't feel is that we're early. We're actually ahead of the right. game. Right, right. Yeah, we're we're like we pay we paid the loan payment like one month early, and now the yeah. bank's like, "Hey, you're late." And we're like, "No, actually, we've been early no, the whole time. We're, early. <laughs> we're just on time this month." Yeah. Exactly. By the way, Blake, riddle me this: Are you are you uh, four forty flight? Are you around the bend kind of guy? Or are you actually going to try to snooze? Oh, I will snooze. Yeah. Ooh, risky move, man. Here's I just the thing. don't know. You want me I to call s- you? I can't sleep on planes. I just don't oh, sleep. Well. If I could sleep well on a plane, then I might do that. But. Okay. um no, I'm gonna I'm gonna go sleep for a few hours and then I'll try to sleep a little bit on the plane, but we'll, we'll you, see what happens. Do you fear flying? No, no, no. I just can't get comfortable. I just mm. like you know, yeah. kind of the same for cars for me. Post uh, having a van with the bed laid down in the back where I could actually I get, get horizontal. When you travel with kids, do you print out paper tickets. Uh, no, not most of the time. You just mm-hmm. oh, so you just have multiple passes on your phone. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Okay, sorry, I just saw that progressive ad. You know, don't turn into your parents and. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're thrilled you're here with us uh, listening as uh, I am now on a beach in Mexico as you're listening to this, <laughs> Yeah. by the way. Uh, so uh, glad you're with us. Uh, we would love if you subscribe to the podcast. We'd love if you gave us a great review. Great reviews are always good. Um, you could win an all expense trip to Mexico by giving us a five star review. You could win that. You could. Yep. I mean, we're not going to pay for it, but someone else might. Yeah, it's yep, possible someone would have an autonomous contest based on our reviews alone, and right. um, well, someone else uh, can't rule with it deep out. Pockets. What do, yeah. what do they what do they call that? There's there's a philanthropers. Is that right? Phila- philanthropy. <laughs> I think that's what Cuomo was, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. The governor of New York. Oh no, wait, that was something else. Philanthropic yeah. people on Twitter yeah. that like to give stuff out. Yeah, they could, they could do that hey, for you. Yeah, yeah. Your Vanderbilt, hey. uh, your Rockefellers, and yeah, uh, to yeah. a lesser extent. Uh, if you are listening and you are a rich person that wants to <laughs> give charity to someone feel free to give charity to one of our listeners that gives us a five-star review yeah, right uh, it I, could happen don't even give it to us give it to the people that are listening okay yeah like, yeah we that's make really generous of us we it make killer, really generous of us we make killer money off this thing too we're all set so. <laughs> yeah no i'm about to quit my job break it in the cash anyway uh today we are talking about the 2000 album from a little band called Green Day. Uh, the title of that album is Warning, and Kyle's going to tell us about it. Kyle, tell us about Warning. Okay, so I'm just going to start by saying I'm not going to say a lot about this record and a lot about this band because it's Green Day. Like, if you don't know who Green Day is, I, I really don't know what to tell you. Like, y- you must not listen to much music. Uh, and and also, you we you start every episode with early aughts. It doesn't get earlier aughts than this. <laughs> right on the aught. This is right on the yacht. Um, and also like this is this is pop punk's heyday, right? And these are, I mean, I think you could argue that these dudes really started bringing it back, right? I mean, mm-hmm. am I wrong in that with Dookie Kerplunk? Maybe a lot of people knew that, but like Dookie was it, right? And oh, yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, and, for sure. And so what I'm going to say about warning, I'll give you the basics. It came out in October of 2000. It was actually leaked on Napster. <laughs> um, we haven't heard Napster on this podcast I know. very much. but So Napster leaked this record. And um, the thing that I find inter- interesting about everything that I read is that like, this is, this was like, this is the follow-up to Nimrod. And in case you guys don't remember, there was this little song called, uh, I mean, parentheses, Time of Your Life. What was it? What what was the full title of that song? Good Riddance. Good Riddance. There you go. Yeah. Time Good Riddance, life. parentheses, Time of Your Life. Which was on everything Just a in little, 1997 yeah. and 98. It did all right. Um, yes, every every montage from my high school of all the photos of us featured. It has song. 350 million streams Huge on Spotify. Song. Huge song. Okay. So they follow up that record with this. And um, three years later, too. Three three years later. Which is a long time for them because they went like, what, 95, 96, 97 for those first three records? Yeah. Yep. And so uh, from, from everything that I've read, it's interesting because they were definitely dealing with a little bit of, of like, they were shunned by the scene that they helped bring to the light. People were like, you're not punk rock yet. Like uh, one of their hometown venues didn't allow green day to play there once they became big again. And it's like that, that's so freaking stupid. Also green day probably wouldn't have played there or couldn't have played there because they were too large. Well, you um, say that except they played Kane's ballroom a couple weeks ago dude, to kick off this tour. Did you hear there, about that? <laughs> there is not a show that I regret missing more than that. They announced it the day before we're playing Kane's Ballroom, uh, 1,500 people capacity. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. We'll, we'll never have that opportunity again, until, unless Green Day's playing when they're 80 years old. We'll never have that opportunity yeah. to see them in such a small venue. No, never. I mean, you haven't had a chance since 1995. Right. Well, so... Well, Chris did. Never mind, Chris, Chris. you son of a gun. So, um, <laughs> so they. it seems like they were maybe... I don't want to say that they were struggling, but like, you know, they blew up. They were a gigantic band and that song raised them to heights that no one thought that they would reach. And then here's this record. And what I love, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but I will mention, I'm excited to talk about important records when it comes to this band, because what I love about this record is, yeah, it came after, it came after the biggest single that they ever did. But this record is right before American Idiot. And I mean, what a what a weird space in time for Green Day. And and this record was even considered kind of a failure for them. It did sell it did go platinum, but like it was it was their smallest record since signing to a major label. And I love that platinum is I know. In 2000 is a failure. It, it's crazy. Green Day in 2000, it's like, oh, you guys only went platinum one time. I don't know. We Ooh, might have to drop you. And, done. And, and I, <laughs> so done. I don't want to. I don't want to mess this this pronunciation up. But is is it Rob Cavallo? You guys, I think know? it's Cavallo. That's how. Okay, I so Rob Rob Cavallo had, had done their previous rec- a couple of their previous records, or maybe even the three in front their, of this. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say all the three, three in front, and all their major label yeah. records. Yeah. So um and. They decided they were going to go with another dude, and then it didn't work out with that dude. It was some guy that worked with REM um, and Nirvana, and he just wasn't vibing on the new direction that that Billy wanted to go on this record. 
And so they brought Rob back in and then they decided to really produce it themselves. And he is listed as an executive producer, but really he was around to record and hang and like maybe give advice. But this was, this was the dudes, Trey cool, Mike and Billy Joe. And, 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 and by the way, just to pause on Rob Cavallo for a second, he did those first, not first three, but the three major label uh, Green Day records. He also did like uh, Google Dolls. He did all those like Iris, the thing that was on that soundtrack. Oh, really? It was huge. Yeah, he did. Um, he did. Uh, obviously, after this, he goes on to do American Idiot and uh, My Chemical Romance, uh, Black Parade. And like he's a really good producer. <laughs> I just think that that should be underlined and stamped. Uh, that he's great, and I think he served as a good executive producer on this too. But I, I kind of, I didn't realize. I thought he produced this. I didn't realize until I dove into it a little bit that he was just an executive producer, and they did a lot of it themselves, which is pretty cool. So I was gonna say, so yeah, that dude's big time. He he knows what's up. <laughs> um, uh, it released. It got leaked three weeks before the album. That I mean, that's pretty. Almost a month, man. That hurts. And this is pre, you know, the leaks start getting worse after that. I feel like in oh yeah, you, this... you fast forward a couple years and you're talking about albums that we talked about, like acceptance and stuff that got leaked like totally. months before, which totally murdered the momentum of that kind of thing. Three weeks is still not great, but it at least a lot of the um, promotion machine is already running and stuff. Um, but it was just a new reality in 2000 that this was a thing that could happen. So. So, that, uh, but that probably would happen. And oh yeah, yeah, it did. I mean, yeah, it was hard to not have it happen. So to put this in perspective, and and to go on a small side tangent, Good Charlotte is quoted as saying that uh, their record, their record, uh, Young and Hopeless, came out at the same time, and it outsold this record. And they were like Green Day were our heroes, so like obvious. They said that this is one of their favorite Green Day records. And it was hard to like wrap their mind around the fact that they outsold Green Day. And Blink I was in the same boat. They were outselling Green Day at the same time. It's right. kind of weird. These guys that basically ushered in the genre. Totally. Well, and and also on a, on a side side note, uh, a, a listener recently called me out on kind of kind of insinuating that Good Charlotte wasn't good. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Or ha- haven't held up. And and I just want to say, I like Good Charlotte. I like their music. I, I don't, but that's okay. But, I mean. but, but that, but like, I just don't think they're legends the way that freaking Green no. Day. <laughs> Chris, they're, they're, if, yeah. if people could hear Chris's face, right? Now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just very upset. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No, they're not. I mean, I don't think. Good Charlotte would say that they're no. I think even I think in this point, I don't. I think think in this (laughs) quote that 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 the proof is in the pudding, right? Yeah, they said that it was crazy to think that they're you know that they outsold them, Um, and then I had to get this quote in because this isn't me. This is a direct quote from Mike Durnt. It's he said that at the time, um, they experienced kind of a wonderful piece of closure in recording this record because punk rock music was no longer popular in the mainstream. This was kind of after them getting shunned for getting gigantic. He says, and I quote, uh, punk rock music was no longer popular in the mainstream as 
new metal acts such as Corn, Limp Biscuit, and Kid Rock were every experiencing time, success. Every time. I that, like how you tried to work it in as, that a, is a, as quote. a quote from them. It is a quote from I know Mike it is Dern. a quote. I just <laughs> like how that's so, how you worked in the butt rock. I metal didn't bands. say it. But uh, it's true, I didn't though. Say it. It's it is true. true. But uh, also, uh, if anybody's interested in things like this, you can check out. Um, oh, gosh. What's the album? Bringing It All Back Home by Bob Dylan. That uh, that record was really influential on uh, Billy Joe. And and also this record was critically acclaimed in particular for his songwriting chops. And I'm just going to say, holy smokes, dude. Like, I am a Green Day fan. Um, I'm all in at this point. And the writing on this record is insane. So, uh, I've got a couple other fun facts. Yeah. If, hit me. If I may, please. Um, well, so this is kind of a weird, uh, connection is that the engineer on this album, whose name is tone. It's not his real name. That's sort of his nickname, but that's what he goes by with credits and stuff like that, uh, was the engineer. So he's the engineer and he did our, um, Chris and I's bands, uh, EP. We went out to Oakland, uh, actually, I guess Berkeley technically or whatever, and uh and did a record with him and so you know in the studio talking to this guy that like he did uh, he engineered on a green day record you know we're kind of like oh my gosh that is awesome but the the one thing that stuck with me when we uh worked with him was he said that uh billy joe was the best guitarist and vocalist he'd ever worked with in the studio as far as like the only time he had to do a second take on guitar was if he was at this point, he started playing those kind of fifties, uh, Les Paul juniors or whatever, like legitimate fifties ones. And so they'd go out of tune fairly often. And so he was like, that was the only reason we had to redo a guitar take is because the guitar was out of tune. So I was just always really impressed by that. Like, huh? Like, I don't feel like people, um, think about him as being a great guitarist because most people don't think of punk rock as uh, right. great guitar chops and stuff. And, I just thought that was quite a testament to be uh, to say that that was the best guitarist. Like as far as rhythm guitar, I think he might've said rhythm guitar specifically, but that he just nailed it first take every time, unless it was out of tune and basically said the same thing with vocals, just nails it every time. Dude, like, his, his do voice. you remember the other thing he said about Billy Joe's songwriting? No, I don't. Oh, Please he, tell us Chris. I, oh yeah. I remember he had a um, great saying that Billy, that, you know, I, we're all three songwriters in here. When you get a really good songwriting idea, like you, 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 you like sing into a microphone or you try to remember it. And Tone said that Billy Joe didn't do that, that he would, if he really liked something, he would put his guitar down and go to bed. And he said, if he couldn't remember it in the morning, it wasn't worth remembering. Oh, I do remember that. That Ooh. is a great, that's a great line. <laughs> Although I appreciate his ability to do that, but Keith Richards from Rolling Stones would disagree because he did that tape recording of the lick on yep. Satisfaction and, and then snoring. And he, <laughs> he yep. literally just woke up the next morning with this tape. Uh, so sometimes you can't have a great idea and forget it. Of course, I think um, his was probably more um, uh, substance induced. Um, yeah. Keith Richards side. Um, but that is a good, I mean, I like that. I like that whatever works for you as a songwriter. And I think, Gosh, I think that he always had really good pop sensibilities. Ugh. I think you go back to Dookie and you just realize like it's there. But mm -hmm. I do think the punk rocker in him tried to fight that. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what mm -hmm. it feels like is that like yep. for those those and I, I keep saying first three records. I realize they had records before Dookie, but Dookie for that's all a, intents yeah. and purposes is the first huge one. That's a big thing. That's and 
I Kerplunk know... had success because Dookie had success. Yes. That's yeah. that's a back cataloging success exactly. record. And so, you know, it's like those so- the reason that record was so big is because it was punk rock and the songs were great. And mm-hmm. uh yeah. but I think that they always kind of I think they did care more uh at one point. Obviously they're younger, they're a new band. I know I remember watching their Behind the Music. Remember that show on VH1? It was an awesome show. Green Day uh, had a Behind the Music? Oh yeah, absolutely. What? Yeah. They're a huge band. And anyway, they were talking about how they didn't want to sign with a major label because that wasn't punk rock. They were really worried about all that kind of stuff. And they turned down like a ton of labels before they finally signed. Um and so like, you know, I just know that that mentality had to creep into songwriting and production. I know it really bothered him on Dookie to not be able to just record his guitars with everyone else. Like he wanted to, you know, cause you do overdubs. You can't just switch right. from clean yep. stuff. You're actually, and he was like, he didn't like that. He wasn't just like playing live with everyone and then doing his overdubs. So it's just funny how like you just fast forward a few years, you're talking about less than five years or a little more than five years between those two, probably about five years. If you're just looking at production, but release date wise. And I feel like he learned to embrace the things that maybe he shunned before, like his pop sensibilities. He clearly has a great oh, man. pop sensibility. Yeah. And yeah. I think he embraced his like being a great guitarist by not hiding behind all that distortion. Yep. And mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. really showing off his chops by having less distortion. It's a cleaner guitar sound and it's even acoustic on a, on some yeah, right. of this album. Yep. And it's really, uh, I just think it highlights everything that he's great at. And so I think that this is the kind of the first album that showcases him like a hundred percent. Does that make sense? Totally. And, well, and, and I think people sometimes mistake something stripped down as being more simple, but this record is clearly not more simple than no, it's not. Came oh. before. Well, yeah. and any, yeah, any musician will tell you stripping things down like this, it's a lot harder to play and make it sound as good. My so God. One, one thing that I thought was really cool and makes me very excited to talk about later is the album was recorded at Studio 880 in Oakland, and Trey Cool noted that the band's work ethic in the studio, um, we're not really sprinting, we're working at the same pace, but it's pretty fast paced for recording. We're faster than every other band, pretty much. That's what I've been told. And with this record, we aim to construct a solid list of tracks where each song could be its own album and made sure to make each song well thought out and well placed in regard to the album's track listing. And which is not probably really something they did before. No. And it's something we talk about all the time. Like, it seems like people do not put enough effort into that. And, um, and I think it shows on this and, record. And so. without that, do you get American Idiot, which is clearly like a concept album, which is yeah, like, maybe you know maybe I mean? they're learning, right? Maybe yeah, they're I learning. Think so. how to That's do what that. it felt like to me. Yeah, it's yeah. like the beginning. You, you feel the the beginning of those uh, those moments starting here. Well, and and the other thing, like before we get it, we can get into track by track real quick. But I said we said we weren't going to talk long about it. <laughs> And we well, uh, you meant you weren't going to talk long yeah. about the history of Green Day. Yeah. We know Green Day is a band. Yeah. Okay? We know who Green Day is. Um, yeah, but but the, what I think is so interesting about hearing that like people were shunning them because they got I guess they the years before like with Dookie and Nimrod and Insomniac they were never ever ever able to um, headline Warp Tour. It just never worked out for them, and it just so happened upon the release of this record. They could, and it's like all the other bands, like Fat Mike is talking about how this record sucked and like, you know, they shouldn't have played it because they're not punk rock, which is hilarious because of what Warped Tour turned into, for one. But yeah. also, um, yeah. it's like, 
it's amazing to me that someone could listen to the the lyrics of this record and not think it's punk rock. Oh, like yeah. you like war- this and warning was the first single. The the words of that song are so freaking punk rock and it's relevant now, but people need to re- remember that this was 2000 when someone was singing this, like it was so punk rock. It was not, it, I don't know. It, well, I'm just bothered by people saying it's not punk. Also, rock there was a great on, uh, there was a great quote from him. I saw one time that was talking about writing or releasing or recording or whatever it was on good riddance. And, uh, and that, you know, everyone was kind of like worried about like, oh, this isn't punk rock. You can't have strings in your stuff. And they were kind of like, you know what? It's the most punk rock thing we can do because everyone's telling us it's not punk rock. Like in, in some ways doing the opposite Absolutely. of what everyone expects and what everyone says you should do is what it's like a mentality more than it is. And so that's why they were like, we're going all in on that song because they they didn't they like they liked it the way it was and they wanted to do it. And um, they kind of felt like, hey, this is the most punk rock thing we can do. And I feel like that, that mentality obviously carries over to this whole album. So like that song is a precursor to being a little more freed up to go, you know what, let's do what we want to do. Like forget what anyone else says we need to be. And the truth is it, it got a little tired by Nimrod. I mean, is that fair for me to say that like those three albums, there is nothing that really separates those other than good reading, other than good riddance, riddance. other than good riddance. They are the production wise. They're the same, right? Uh, they're basically the same songwriting kind of stuff. They could all, you could almost interchange most of that stuff album to album. And I don't think you can do a fourth album like that. And, and it work out. Um, and this sounds weird. We've not technically gotten to first impressions, but we're just, so we're at first impressions. Let's just go and say, yeah, let's go. I've been talking about it. Um, but that would be, that would be kind of one of my things was just like, uh, people are always, um, I saw uh, Mark Hoppus say a very similar thing with Paramore when they came out with their self-titled one. He was like, look, what do you want them to do the same thing over and over again? Like, that's boring. And this is great. Like, yep. and this is exactly what they needed to do. And the haters are going to hate and who cares? Like, this is haters a great album. Hate. And um, and I, th- I just think that you can't. The people that are going to sit there and, and gripe about it are probably going to gripe no matter what. If they would, you know, if they did the exact same thing they'd get tired of it. And if they didn't do the exact same thing, they like to complain about it. And this also goes back to a thing where people are just like, Oh, first of all, no one liked green day before they were huge. I don't know. I don't know a single person that knew a green day before Dookie came out to be fair. It's cause I was in like fourth grade when that album came out, but um, I'm sure there were people out in Oakland and stuff, but come on. Like, I just don't believe it that in the mid nineties. And so don't pretend you like liked this band before they were popular. Way back now when. You're trying to like hold on to them or something. Uh, it just kind of drives me crazy. But let's talk about first impressions of the album when it came out in 2000. I feel like we'll go to Chris first. Well, uh, I absolutely loved it. Um, I was at that Warp Tour, Warp Tour 2000. I talked about it during no the Pinkerton way. episode. Yeah, I talked about it the Pinkerton That's episode. Right. Green Day, oh, but Green Day played before Weezer. I mean, I was at I was at a very legendary Warp Tour. It was in San Francisco. So he goes, best part about playing here is I could see home right over the bay over there. It was awesome, man. That's super cool. You guys should have been there. Um, I hey, didn't even. I, I do not you. want to interrupt you, but I do want to ask you something about Green Day at that Warp Tour. Yeah. One of the notes was they actually were. Um, people suggested them to. T- that was the first time they took another guitarist on tour because they wanted yeah. to beef up these warning songs because they weren't so punk rock. 
Do you remember that? And did you notice that? I didn't notice it. Uh, by the time they were playing, I was pretty far back. I was by myself. So it was just a weird, like, you know, at a big show like that, you don't really want to be like in the, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but I do remember them. They, uh, set the, they set their drum set on, you know, Trey set his drum set on fire and it was, it was nutty, man. Um, (laughs) the guy's nuts. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. And the, the thing I remember about this album too is like me, you know, Kyle, me and you had just gotten out of high school. So like that summer, you know, right around August, that mid, that uh, minority video, I feel like that video was on MTV every five minutes or MTV two, whatever it was, but with the balloons and everything. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know what? And your minority was the first single, right? Right, right, right. I so, said warning. Sorry. Yeah. Oh no, no. Warning was the second single. Yeah. I remember yep. minority was on, but, but when warning, cause that minority was more of a, classic sounding green day song yeah not not it's it's the most classic green day song yeah kind of you know what i mean like it's still got that pirate chant uh shanty feel but it's also um but warning was like whoa what is this and that music video is just i i don't know why i love it so much i think it might be one of my favorite music videos they're just playing in that guy's kitchen and (laughs) the, the, the vibe was just so stripped down for this band that was like that that was they were mega stars and they were just trying to bring everybody back and I also remember, I'm sorry, I'm talking to uh, maybe a little too much, but even like when we went on our first tour, we went to California and there was this uh, house we stayed at and this guy had seen um, Mike Durant playing in uh, some small club in LA with a ba- band called the Accelerators or something like that, yep. that he had. And the guy was telling us like, yeah, these guys, they just love music. Like they play little shows with little bands. They don't talk about it. They don't announce it. Like, you know, they've got friends and, um, it really shows in this record. These guys just love making music and they were like trying to bring it back down. They're like, all right, what do we want to do? Let's just do what we want to do instead of doing what everybody expects us to do. Yeah. So I loved it. I loved that. It's just genuine. It's genuine. Kyle, let's go to you. First impressions. Were you one of them that stole it off Napster? (laughs) I didn't. Here's the, the truth of the matter is I, I'm going to be honest with everybody, with all of our friends. I'm always honest on here. If, if I could have, I totally would have. (laughs) My parents didn't have a computer that could download Jack. No, yeah. I mean, they're yeah. like, so it was like go to a friend's house and convince them to uh, block their parents' phone line for a day to download Sweetness by Jimmy Earl. Literally a day like, sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So so if I would have, I, I or if I could have, I would have, if I'm being honest. But I did not. Um, my, my first impression... Uh, Chris remind, reminded me with the minority thing. Yeah, I remember hearing minority. And then also, this is really weird, but we talked about VH1 earlier behind the music. Also, MTV used to play music then. And MTV did a special for the release of this record with Carson Daly. And he they talked briefly about each song. And then they would play a clip of each song. And I think they played a couple songs live. And I remember hearing these clips and being like, holy crap this record is going to be amazing. And, and also being like, Oh, they sound just like the recording that they just played. I mean, they're so freaking good. Um, and I was already a huge green day fan at this point. So I was, I mean, they, they could have, they could have put out whatever and I was going to buy it. But I remember hearing those clips and being pumped and I loved it from, from my first listen through. And also I remember this cool feeling of, already this band that I loved like and I didn't have my guard up because I loved Green Day already and so I got to go on this really cool journey the first time I listened to it like I remember just being like 
what the heck is going on, but in a really fun, cool way. So, yeah. So, uh, again, like I said, I'm always honest on this. I did not really, I didn't have this album. I didn't listen. I'm sure I heard it. You know, I had friends that had it and stuff. I, I liked Green Day, but I was not huge into Green Day in like 2000. I didn't really get into them until after this album came out. I, you know, it's like I said, all my friends had it. All my friends had Dookie. So I heard Dookie all the time, but I didn't own it uh, like in middle school and stuff like that. And I liked Green Day, but I was like 2000 is kind of right when I get into kind of punk and punk, pop, pop punk and stuff like that. Um, so I didn't really have the you know, the juxtaposition of what came before and how different this was. And I remember liking the singles and liking the videos a lot. Um, but it didn't get, didn't get on my radar enough to me to go buy the album. So, uh, but eventually I listened to it and yeah, it's like, I'd kind of forgotten. I'd not honestly listened to this in a really long time. And immediately I was like, I think Kyle's like, yeah, Kyle's right. This album is like, flame like it's so (laughs) it's so good and and what i love about it in hindsight is that especially because hindsight of american idiot because uh a story i tell fairly often when green day comes up is that i was a substitute teacher when i was like in my 19 20 21 in my band days me too and uh, oh yeah and i was at my old middle school, Mayfield Middle School, and uh, this is right when American Idiot is huge, right? And this kid is like, we're like, we're listening to the radio, and it was probably like ninety four point seven or you know whatever, and an old Green Day song was on, and I was like, I can't remember how it got brought up. I was like, this is Green Day. They're like, what? And I was like, yeah, this is Green Day. And they were I like, remember you talking and about they this had at the no, time. They had no idea that American Idiot wasn't Green Day's first record. And I was like, how could you not? And I start doing the math on how old a seventh grader was in 1990. You know, and I was like, oh, you were like three. Yeah, of course right. you don't know. It's about- not that, Blake. It's that the that they were posers. No. <laughs> you should have called him call no, them out this kid, like go to the principal's office this you kid poser. genuinely loved uh green day but this is pre-spotify and stuff like that and so he didn't know there was this back catalog and i was like blowing his mind that this song that was on the radio at the time in the class that we were in he like didn't know it was green day and i just thought that was such an interesting like how many there's not a lot of bands that get to like totally start over with a fan base yep as far as like that many albums in with really successful early albums. I mean, their first major label album is a huge album. Dookie is gigantic and launches several other bands and all this kind of stuff. And so now looking back, I realize how much this is the catalyst for American idiot, which obviously gives them just, I mean, you talked about success before that, and this might've been kind of the calm before the storm. Cause that album is just gigantic. And, and not only does this clearly like the guitar work, is awesome. I love the cleaner guitars. I think you really get to see how he shines as a guitarist. Um, I love the kind of over compression of everything. Like everything sounds so good. Shout out to tone for making everything mm-hmm. sound amazing. Um, and so I just like, I just didn't, I really wish I would have loved this album in 2000 is basically what I am saying. Cause it is really good. The guitar work is awesome. Um, and I just love, um, I love that you can see that like, it gets more political with this album, which obviously is a precursor to American idiot. They really think hard about the track listing, which is obviously very important if you're going to do a concept album after this. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think they also embrace those pop, those like pop sensibilities they have, which yep. are fine. Like there's nothing wrong with them. Like that's not a pop is not a bad word. If you're a good pop songwriter and he is a great pop songwriter. So, Oh yeah. 
Um, I love it. I think it's great. And I, I think that my first impressions then were, oh yeah, this is cool. It's a different vibe. Uh, that's basically the extent of how much I thought about it. And then like, uh, you know, in hindsight, I realized like, oh no, it was like, it was way more cool than I think even the people that love this album, like you at the time, I think maybe even realized like how maybe important it was going to be for their career. Cause it really does like the rest of their music after this album is different. Like to me, this is the, the milestone. That's like, that's what I'm this saying. Dude. Like that. Right. our, our questions that come later, it's going to get interesting because, I think it will, yeah. because yeah. Yeah. And you're right, Kyle. It, it's so tight. I mean, like it is so good and it's not because uh, they were overproduced or um, or uh, time corrected and stuff like that. It's because they're fantastic musicians. And I feel like this does a better job at showcasing that than their previous albums. And I'm not saying their previous albums aren't tight too. Um, Just I think the production on this one and the and the direction they went really showcased it better and really um, made them shine as as musicians. So that'd be my kind of first impressions combined with some time if yeah. that makes sense uh, i can't totally say that's first impressions but uh shall we get into track by track does that let's work for you it. fellas okay uh so let's uh, the aforementioned warning and title track let's go with that track one warning Chris is air drumming, so you know he gets to go first. It's the rules, <laughs> Chris. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, what a trippy song for Green Day to write and play, and it was so good. And I, like I said, the music video was perfect and spot on. The drums were really cool. Um, I don't know, man. I, 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 I didn't even know like what to think about the song, but I just knew that like every time the video was on or every time that song got played that I wanted to hear it again and again. Now, there's a thing on the internet about this song being a ripoff of a kink song. Have you guys heard this? No, I've not. But well, so Kyle, the kinks, yes, the kink song is intentional. It's 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 an homage. That's There's what I another, thought. Yeah, it is. It is an homage. They've okay. acknowledged the homage. Okay, okay, okay. That's what I, I always thought. I was like, it's so obvious that it's like, yes, this is yeah. yeah. So for people to say it's a ripoff, it's silly. It's like, no, it's not uh, not exactly. But is there another song that you're saying? Yeah, there's another song oh. that like I I don't think I, I mean. It's in the Wikipedia page. Kids, visit that. It's it, someone claimed that. That he they that they took it from him and they're like, well, we this was inspired by this. We by are this. we took it from someone else. <laughs> right. So, uh, uh, yeah. the kink song, by the way, is called Picture, Picture Book. If you want, if yeah. anyone wants to go listen to that, okay, I'll put it, I'll put it in the link. But that is, yeah, th- that's my thoughts on that song. I love the I love the song. I, it it made me feel like a freaking kid again seeing the video too. Like that was well, it's a magical time. The year after you graduate high school and you're you know you're staying up all night because you do whatever you want. Um, yeah. If you didn't go to college, which <laughs> it called, you'd be studying, <laughs> but none of us did. <laughs> Not right away, anyway. Uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts on on warning? 
Uh, dude, that freaking rift, riff. I don't care if it's an homage or not. Like it's so you're, good, yeah. you, you don't have a pulse if you're not digging that. And the fact that like the the acoustic follows it, that bass line, mm-hmm. and he's singing and he can do it live. It's a that is a mind bending part. Um, and then okay, so you've got that part which kicks freaking butt. The that that perfect high harmony in the chorus. It's just like so simple and so perfect. It elevates it. And then the lyrics, man, this song right now is relevant. It is such a well-written song. And and like, I, I feel like, I feel like the, the, the writing that went into this song was probably overlooked at the time. Like, because not many people were saying things like this. And so it was just like, yeah, Green Day is singing about something. That's cool. And the fact is, it could be played now on the radio and be completely relevant. Yeah, you definitely the Bob Dylan influence lyrically is uh, uh, very clear and obvious when this song. But like he does a good politics and music is one of those things that either makes me want to pull my hair out because I hate it, uh, but it, normally I hate it because it's not well done. <laughs> this right. is well done, Two and on it's the nose. not, and it's and it's also um, not trying it's not so in the moment that it's immediately dated either. Um, in the sense that you're right. Like there's the, the line about the police thing. And that's the reason, reason I picked that clip. It's like, we're talking about the same thing right now, 21 right. years later. Right. And like, so he's 20 years ahead of time, honestly. Yeah. Um, you know, or, or maybe six years late based on LA riots or whatever, but um, however you want to look at it. But um, I don't know. I just, I feel like he does a really good job at it. And so many other people, try and fail really bad at that. Um, and including bands I really like um, with songs where I just go like, literally this is so cringeworthy or so 2003 that I can't, I can't do it. It's not cause it's not in a good way that makes you think or anything. It's just like, and I feel like he like right out of the bat. And also I love the acoustic guitar coming right out of the bat. Like, Hey, we're really, yep. we're not going acoustic like good riddance, but we are, like rocking it like this could have been heavy distortion, but I like that they went the direction of no, we're going to go the opposite of distortion. We are going to go acoustic guitar. <laughs> and uh, is this the simplest drum beat Trey ever played ever? Maybe. Yeah. Uh, also. So what you're saying about like political songs, Blake, I think the other thing, too, is not a lot of people are being political at this time in music. And so it, f- I mean, almost for, no one. I mean, it, Rage Against the Machine. Thing? Okay, but are they? But but like they're not huge in two thousand right now, are they? No, this is they're like Lincoln Park, Limp Biscuit. These are the bands that are big this year. Yeah. Well, but yeah. but well, but Rage Against the Machine predates this. Oh yeah, so. yeah no, oh, right. For we're sure, talking about that. They, this exact. Yeah, I'm saying moment. they don't okay, have yeah. a, they don't yeah. have a yeah. big album in two thousand. So as well. so but but what but I guess what I'm getting at is we live in a time now where like whatever the trend is, one way or another, we're gonna get just oversaturated in that right like so it it just feels more special that this guy is speaking his mind at a time when less people were speaking their mind and it might not be popular exactly time and so and so like that's what i dig about it and also how how bouncy it feels and and nice and happy it feels and he's 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 just uh got a forked tongue on this you know he's going after all of us really i agree uh let's go on to track two which is uh blood sex and booze 
Kyle, what are your thoughts on Blood, Sex, and Booze, the song, not necessarily the combination I, of those things? I like those things, and I like this song. Uh, I have to say, I just... <laughs> I kind of just realized Blake asked me to pick the clips for the, this record and I didn't. And You've been like, moving, Kyle. While you, right. were, while you were playing this just now, I was like, he did it. He got the, the beginning of the musical bridge because that part is so freaking awesome and fun. Also, like, I love that this song is just, it is what it's about. You know, like, he's, he's just... Uh, He's just talking about it. And uh, and I love, again, that it's it's this dark subject matter and it feels happy. I I love this song and I love the clip you played. I don't. Um, you know, there are some people that write songs and I go like, uh, that's not that's an exaggeration or that's not true. I believe <laughs> he's into it. <laughs> I believe he was going to dominatrix at the time. Like I, I, I actually believe that that was probably a real thing he was singing about. Um, and, um, it would not shock me at all. Really. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on, uh, on the tune? The song ha- moves in such a cool way that did that, uh, syncopated, mm-hmm. um, it's like a, it, the the Wikipedia article actually references this. It, it, the the sound that they they, they call it is uh, it's got a swing to it too. Yeah. It's a is, little swing, yeah. uh, uh, percussive acoustic sound. Uh, oh it, yeah. Oh, it's just and it um it I just I I don't really know how to explain what, but but yeah, the song makes me so happy. Plus, it like Blake said, with all the compression and the clean guitar tones, it but it's perfect. I like every singular note is exactly where it's supposed to be. <laughs> Even though it's like a, a borderline kind of punk rock song, but with that little swing, but it's still when too it, slow. And this song has that, um, that same, the, like the chords and the melodies are working a lot like songs did on, on the albums that came before this, but in a new way, like it's taking something that he could have written without the swing, without the acoustic, without the, and it might've fit on Dookie, but like he changed it enough. Like he's still the same songwriter. It's not like he's writing completely different stuff. This is still, you change a couple things about it and it fits on Dookie or something. Uh, this is, I think kind of similar to, Oh crap. I'm, I've just totally drew a blank on which song from Dookie. It reminds me of, but um, I'll think of it. And anyway, it kind of reminds me of that in a way that's familiar. I'm like, Oh, this is green day. But with a new thing, and which I think is the best way to do an album like this is like, hey, we're not totally ditching what we did before. I know so many bands that like did an album I loved and the next album is too far gone. It's like, (laughs) you know, like Juliana Theory is an example like that. I love that first album and then Love comes out and I'm like, I hate everything about this. This is not the same band I liked uh, (laughs) an album ago. They didn't ease you into it. No, 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 not at all. And so... uh, you have i just feel like they this is an example of a song where they do that really well the the, you know and and uh, i do i do like it um and so um and yeah and i once again i I totally believe him on the subject matter (laughs) i I can't i can't believe how depressed i get every time someone mentions juliana love yeah you know i gave it another shot a few years ago because i was like i'm gonna try this thing again maybe i wasn't mature enough or maybe while eating a tomato (laughs) these both still suck (laughs) 
Yeah, basically is how that went down. Sorry, Blake hates tomatoes. I I do hate tomatoes. But we both we both try them every seven years. Yeah, just to check it out. Uh, I and uh, and and I tried that album again, and it does. It just still sucks. So um, good good to know. In case any of you are wondering if you need to go check out that album again, you you do not um, need to check it out. Okay, let's (laughs) let's go. (laughs) We will not be doing it on this podcast. We'll do their first album. 100%. 100%. We might do it twice. Oh, yeah. Emotion is dead. Is, <laughs> yeah, Emotion is dead is happening on this, uh, this for sure. Uh, their second album will not. Um, let's go to track three Church on Sunday. Guys, I love this song. (laughs) Great. Uh, The lyrics are amazing. And do you know who is playing organ on this song? Oh, no, I don't. But is is somebody cool? Ben Montench from the Heartbreakers uh, is playing organ. And I would say my only complaint production wise is that that is not high enough in the mix. (laughs) I would have had that. I would have had that obnoxiously high because I wouldn't have. There's no way I could have been like, guys, if we have Benmont playing organ on our record, we have to put that up to refugee level. <laughs> like yeah. that needs to be cranked. Uh, if I have only that might be my only complaint on this, oh, but uh, it is a little low. It's a little low. I want it higher. And it, it almost I wonder if tone, <laughs> but he didn't mix it. He didn't oh, mix. Oh, that's right. That's right, that's right. Uh, he yeah. just engineered not tones. He could have done something about it, though. He could have made a phone call. Yeah. Uh, I is it is a uh, Jack. Pugue? I don't know how you pronounce that guy's name. Uh, he's mm. a famous, very, very good mixer. So I'm not saying he did a bad job at all. I'm just saying I would have put the organ a little bit higher. Um, that's just me. Uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts on uh, Church on Sunday? Freaking awesome. Uh, the lyrics to this song are it's it's just such an awesome story. And really just like ev- all of us compromise in relationship. And this song captures that perfectly. The little solo that you played right there, it, it sounds like so authentic early rock and roll to me. Yes. Um it, it like like a buddy like Holly 50s. vibe or something. Like yes, 50s yes. rock and roll. And I love uh, it. Uh, it, it just sounds and and so like okay so there's that part and we were talking about the bridge on the song before this like they're not distorting guitars yet they're still finding ways to rock like that rocks man and uh and dude what a what a well-written song uh there's there's i can't read the whole song so i won't do that but like every every line in this one is gold but i do like that the compromise like is is not weighed in his favor on all the lyrics right. well, well and <laughs> like, what's that's so my funny favorite is like, part is that he's like we'll yeah. compromise but he really he's like giving up everything for just yeah. little <laughs> concessions from her because yeah. he likes right. her and i love that i think it's a great um i think it's it makes it a great relationship song and uh, such a such a funny idea too like if you if you go out and party with me i'll go to church with you <laughs> Well, and if you live with me, I'll die for you. Like that's such compromise. a, yeah. <laughs> then that's a compromise. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Chris, what are your thoughts on, on the tune? Uh, yeah. I mean, you guys said all the good stuff. The opening line. I, my note was uh, 
that line is so cheesy. Like it, but he pulls it off so perfect. Uh, oh and yeah. He, and he also put that line in there. So he'd be like, "Uh, uh, gross. Come on." Um, and yeah, the organ. I think we we already talked about that, but the organ, the way that's just it's perfect. Church on Sunday, organ. I mean, you grow up going to church. That that's a sound synonymous with Sunday morning, at least in the churches I went to. That's not how church is anymore. But in the eighties and nineties, that was the, that was sound was what you heard when you, while you were singing your hymnals. Now yeah, I think they have get... the praise band, right? Oh well, well you the... know you still have the. I mean, in in uh, in your black churches, the organ oh, right. is going the whole time, guys. I mean, oh, it right, is right, right. It's a it's like the it's the assist it's the um, Ed McMahon to the preacher the whole time. It's that's right. It's the yes man to it. Uh, but yeah, you gotta get some organ in there for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm loving it. I and I just like I said, turn it up just a little bit because I like yep. Ben Mont's my favorite um, piano player ever slash keyboard player. Um, shall we go to Fashion Victim track four? Yes. Here we go. Kyle, let's go to you. What are your thoughts on Fashion Victim? Dude, this song, the lyrics to this song are scathing. Just he is going after someone. The the line that you just played, when you're dancing through your wardrobe, do the anorexia go-go. Uh, <laughs> cloaked, <brutal>. the <laughs> next line, the next line is worse. Cloaked with style for pedophiles as your credit card explodes. Like, he's not playing around with with the lyrics to this song. Nope. And that juxtaposed with the bouncy, happy feeling. And even later in the song, the whoa. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's incredible, dude. Like incredible. Yeah, he is really good at that juxtaposition of the feel of the song versus the lyrics of the song. Uh and and I that goes back to like dookie like she that's a great <laughs> a great song about like yeah being physically abused by but it doesn't sound like you don't notice it like if you just listen to the song and then you're like, like wait oh this rocks <laughs> this just rocks i like this it feels good um he's really good at that and i i do i do like it um quite a bit chris what are your thoughts on a fashion victim yeah i feel the same way as you guys uh the lyrics are just just brutal and i i, I just absolutely love the chorus of this song um yeah, it, it, that and the the woes, uh, man. Yeah, it it. I don't know. It almost makes you angry how how perfect of a songwriter, uh, Billy Joe Armstrong is, and and the guy can sing. I mean, it's not an easy song to sing as perfectly as he sings it. I mean, yeah, it's just it's kind of wordy, and it's a great song, man. Yeah, I would love to know who he was talking about. That would be yeah. Funny. Who is he so pissed <laughs> off at? Uh, Probably a supermodel. Well, he he's sounds got, like a dude, though. He's a yeah. it, 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 he's one of those like old school guys with the long term relationship, right? Ever ever heard of uh, Derek Zoolander, Blake? <laughs> this movie came out then, and that's who he's mad about. He thinks he thought I'm that just, was a documentary. 
I'm just saying I said supermodel and you said, but I think it's a dude. Mm. And I'm saying. Oh, you're saying there are dude supermodels. <laughs> I don't. I mean, the vintage Hansel? suit and tie is what leads me to believe. Yeah. Obviously. Uh, well, he, I think he's going back and forth, right? What do you mean? The, the first verse, he's talking about the vintage suit oh, and tie. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I don't know. He Does he ever talk? He never talks about a. A, a dress or anything and oh oh no you know it does say yeah. she looks like hell to me yeah you're right yeah. it does but um, he's also famous for doing that right yep switch went to kind of went to a too. whore yeah. yeah he said yeah you're right he does the exact <laughs> same thing in one line he switches yeah. the oh that i remember singing that line to my not singing to my dad but i, I remember <laughs> dad i'd like to sing you this song yeah <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I should even finish this story. I don't think I'm coming out of this one unscathed. <laughs> Dad, Daddy, Daddy, let me, let me sing you a lyric from a Green Day song. <laughs> As a fifth yeah. grader. Oh, boy. Um, do you want to finish that or do you want to go to Castaway and pretend I, it didn't happen? <laughs> I was trying to justify that the lyrics weren't as bad as he thought they were. So I said, see, he says whore, but it, it's a guy. Like, the man it's, whore. It's, it's like a different thing than what you're thinking is a it's whore. Tricky. My dad was like, I said he was like, no, I think it's just he's just being funny. So I think you're right. <laughs> I think he was probably being pretty tongue in cheek uh, on on that one specifically. Okay, let's go to track five, Castaway. I almost forgot to stop on that fade out because uh, I was enjoying myself so much. Chris, what are your thoughts on Castaway? All I have to say is bencha 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 ba ba bencha 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 ba ba. That's all I could think about when I did do this song. This is this song is so great, it, and it's um, it makes me want to skank. It kind of does, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was never even a skanker or a ska guy, but uh, this that uh, that rhythm makes me happy. It does. Uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts on? Uh, dude, yeah. So the rhythm. To me, this has always had Greece vibes. Like yes. it could be a song in Greece. <gasps> it totally Greece. does. That's and, it's very doo-woppy like, and yeah, kind of yeah. And also like so with that, we've we've talked about this like five times now, or, or however many songs in where with that, like the high concept of he's a castaway in his own mind, like the songwriting that's going on is insane. The freaking line, a conscientious objector to the war that's in my mind. I had the same note. It's such oh a good line. Oh my gosh. It is such a, and also like the high energy, like truly, if there were a soundtrack to my youngest son, when he gets sugar a little too close to bed, <laughs> it's this freaking song. Like he's, he's just going, it's just insanity. Oh, and also, I don't think any of us talked about the insanity that is Mike Dernt's bass playing oh. and how he never quite repeats the exact same thing twice. He's really good. Oh my gosh. Dude. Hey, would I, can we put him in like the top 10 of underrated bassists? Easily. Oh, top yeah. five. Yeah. I think he's severely underrated that he doesn't show up on a lot of lists, but he is solid. He's got a sound that's definitively him. 
And uh, and yeah, he's got great bass lines and stuff. I got a question: Why did Zemeckis not put this in the in the uh, credits of the <laughs> film Castaway that came out the same year with the whole cast dancing hey. on the <laughs> island with the crew? <laughs> yeah, with outtakes. It's like yeah, like like a like Bollywood ending. Remember, yeah. uh, there's something about Mary. All those movies, the yeah. the Fairly Brothers, how they would always yeah. end with a dance yeah. number. They should have done that. Like they should have done that. Come on, and like Zemeckis likes Zemeckis loves a good pop tune in a song. It was in a made thing. I mean, for he, that. Power of Love is because of him and, you know, all that. Stuff. So anyway, just a funny coincidental. They both came out the same year uh, with the same name, but I don't think they were on each other's radar probably at all. Uh, yeah, it's a great song, though. I mean, it's it feels good. I like the lyrics a lot. Uh, it's a different feeling than really anything else. Uh, Green Day done or anyone. I mean, not I mean, not anyone ever, but like it was just a different feeling than a song in 2000. There was not. That was not a thing that was on my radar. Yep. Uh, I'm sure it existed, though. Uh, let's go to track six, Misery. Regina hit the roads of New York City. Mysteriously, the night Vinnie crops. She stopped in Vegas to elope with Virginia. Okay, I'm curious if any of us have this same note. Uh, so I'm going to let you guys go first, and uh, we'll go with Kyle first. What are your thoughts on on Misery? Man, I'm I'm I always feel pressure when you say that, so I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to tell you. No, I'm just curious. It's not this, like a big pressure thing. I'm just wondering if anyone else. This song is insane. It is insanity, and it is amazing. It is. It it's just. It is just crazy. I love how it opens. Virginia was a lot lizard from FLA. Like that is just a crazy line. Um, it's it's insane. It sounds so good. The instruments on it, like I I don't know regionally what this is, but it's like freaking fiddler on the roof type vibe. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I wanted to look it up too. What I mean, there's a there's a south of the border feel to this but there's also yeah, you're right, right. fiddlerish. well it goes mariachi in the bridge it right, goes, yeah, it right. goes, the yeah. and i don't know what this bridge, this yeah. is how no, little world music i understand but like this ha- this has a vibe a very specific vibe and i i can't i i don't know the name of what it's well, what it is so but. what's crazy is i feel like it has a very specific vibe and then it seamlessly cruises into that mariachi part and it's yeah. just like this is in it's insane because it works and it's just it is perfect man like i am so i love this record so much i'm like happy sitting here talking to you dudes about it and each clip that plays i'm just like this is a freaking fantastic record and i hope because this record was you know a a disappointment for green day it undersold because it only went platinum uh i hope that there are people that listen to this podcast that have never given this record a chance and do you're, yeah. you're welcome. Like, that's how I feel. Yeah. Like it is so good. So Chris, what are your thoughts? And let's see if you have my note. Maybe you don't. I couldn't, I couldn't find it either. What, what it was. Cause it was almost like a, I wrote spaghetti Western question mark, but it's also like kind of a Russian Slavic vibe. That <laughs> unch, unch. Yeah. Cause unch. I, you know, I was the Russian singer in Fiddler on the Roof, Kyle. I don't know if you know this. So this has got a vibe <laughs> very similar to my solo. Yeah. Um, I also got to break a bottle over someone's head. It was sugar glass, but it was sugar. Oh, bottle. that's a fun thing. Yeah. I got to do that too. One time. 
Um, there are timpani drums in here. Yeah. Those are hard to tune. Hey, you've um, got to, <laughs> you have to listen to this song in headphones. Like yes. if you good haven't, you should so stop good. this podcast because you're probably listening in headphones and go listen to this in headphones because it speakers don't do it justice. And I'm kind of blown away that like, I want, I want to know how much Rob Cavallo was involved on this track specifically, because it would really blow my mind if like tone and green day, like came up with all this crap on their own. Like that would blow my mind. Tone said something about that. I remember him saying we all helped a lot. I'm sure. I remember saying that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So here's the note I had that you guys didn't have. Uh, Rob Cavallo goes on to do a post American idiot does black parade, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, And I don't believe for a moment that he didn't think mama was a complete rip off of this song. (laughs) Hey, produced both albums. And this, I mean, it is a, other than Liza Minnelli being on it. You're right. It is, um, which I'm not taking away from my chemical romance. They're doing the same thing. They're going like, also great album. Yeah. Great album. I'm just saying like, it is the same. So we we talked about we we all mentioned Fiddler on the Roof, but like, is this the very first time where he starts like, like vibing on this idea of like musical comedy, rock opera? Like, this has got oh, a very show to be vibe, oh, right? Yeah. Like, and it feels like it's <clears throat> telling a story of something that's not real. It's a real. story. It's a exactly. story, and, it, yeah. and it's perfect. Yeah, it's it perfect, perfect in every way. I think I think it's absolutely a catalyst more than well, the rest. And then he of the goes album on to write the Broadway Indian. the Broadway show, right? Well, I mean, the Broadway like, show is the is the music from the thing. Yeah. Um, well, so there's American Idiot, but I thought that there was another Broadway show that he worked on. Oh, did he? I don't know. I don't like, think I know. I, I don't think I'm aware of I'll, that one. I'll research in the next. Sound I, that clip. does that does sound vaguely familiar. Um. So you can you can research that and and you yeah. can shoot me a, a clip uh, or not a clip a, a note a and link I'll put a link and I'll put it in the show notes. But yeah, I mean, I think it's absolutely like. Um, it's definitely you're going like I'm sure if you're listening to this album in 2000, you're going, what is happening <laughs> right now? <laughs> it's kind of weird. But then like hearing this post American Idiot, especially you're like, oh, this is like the seeds of what comes next. Um, and there's a, obviously a gap between this and American Idiot too, um, a little bit um, more so than well, I guess it's the same gap basically that was. Uh, wait, when did American Idiot come out? Is that 2004? Three, maybe. Three. Three Uh, or four? Either way, about the same gap or a little bit more, but I definitely think this is like we're on the road to a concept album storytelling kind of like, oh, we're going to expand this from one song to a whole album. Uh, and, and, and some of the rest of this album is like that too in the sense that like we picked a style, we like really thought about the whole album, but I definitely think the songwriting of this specific song is, is a huge like, uh, you know, foreshadowing to what's going to come just a little bit later. So uh, let's go to track seven, Deadbeat Holiday.
Kyle, this is where I disagree with you a little bit. I think this is the most like previous Green Day sound song yep. on the record with just less distortion. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I do think it I do think it still follows the theme so far of this record of sounding happier yes. and not be, you know, like this this one also lyrically pretty rough, you know, uh but sounds like we're all we're all having fun. Everything's fine. Um freaking awesome song, man. I mean, just they're they're cranking out hit after hit on this one for me. And I guess maybe not hit in the, you know, traditional sense of like single but like <laughs> right. i'm 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 loving it but great songs yes five star yeah. tens totally chris thoughts on uh, deadbeat holiday love the opening with the uh clean guitar and th- this song it, it you you already mentioned the dookie thing it perfectly bridges the those two worlds the world between like dookie and this album because it's it's like kind of a, almost like a song that could be on dookie i feel like i think but they... it's got that clean guitar sound and it's still punk rock and it's extremely hard to pull off and they do it i well. would bet money he used the snare drum he used on dookie on this oh, that's yeah? how much that i think that snare yeah. sounds just like the snare from dookie I, I have to go back and listen some more maybe but um it it does it reminds me of that and I, even the fill he did at the beginning of that little clip yeah. like it's very much a dookie like tray like classic fill um I, I love when a drummer has a style that I can recognize kind of regardless of, of who they're playing with or, and, and I think he definitely has like a style and he has certain fills that are kind of his and signature. Uh, and another, I think unspoken kind of uh, fantastic drummer that maybe he gets more credit than, than Mike does, but not, um, not by much. Yeah, not a lot more. He doesn't get the credit that like at the exact same time Travis Barker gets. And I think he's as good of a drummer. See, well, I, and remember, pe- I, th- oh, I think people are like, his name is Trey Cool. That's weird. <laughs> what were yeah, you going to th- say, Chris? <laughs> well, I was going to say, I, I remember in the late 90s and early 2000s, like Slingerland, they, their whole endorsement strategy was around him. I mean, I know he was a very celebrated drummer. Yeah, but don't you think with like instrumental, that kind of thing? I mean, that's a little different than like. Yeah, in the right. annals of like, like has Rolling Stone had a best drummers of all time? And I don't know, they probably have some dumb list like that where they. Oh, yeah, it's going to be like, it, I'm sure Terry Bozio and like Neil Peart. And he's probably like number 100. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. He might be in there. I, maybe I'm maybe I'm uh, not giving everyone enough credit for giving him credit. But I, I feel like he's a great drummer and, and deserves more, especially for, like I said, stylistically. I feel like he has a sound. Um, and I think that's more important than being technically fantastic. Um, but maybe that's just my opinion. Um, yeah, it's a great song. I think it's a a really good one. And I love that it's really embracing the pop sensibilities that he just has inside of him. And, uh, and he writes great stuff and I'm, I'm glad that, uh, he's going for it on this album. Let's go to track eight. Hold on. Kyle Simmons, what are your thoughts on Hold On? Uh, I really, like, because the lyrics are so kind of brutal and honest on this record, 
it, this song kind of gives me a little warm fuzzy. I'm not one much for like self-motivation. That's not my thing. Uh, but I do love, I love this song and I feel like it's uplifting that like when things are going down, you just really, you just got to believe in yourself. And, and I love that. I love, I don't know if you guys knew this, but that was actually Alvin from Alvin and the Chipmunks playing harmonica there. So that's pretty cool. What? Um, huh? Wait, what? Yeah, I just made that up. Oh, oh so are you checking to see if we're listening? What a weird thing did you just say? <laughs> I just like to picture that it's Alvin from Alvin and the Chipmunks. Now I will never in. not picture that. But, but like, I also really dig how it's, it's, it's this weird mixture of, uh, of a little bit of like the fifties rock. And also, uh, it's got like an Irish pub vibe a little bit, you know, and very Bob Dylan, obviously the harmonica it, yeah. is clearly, you know, but yeah, 50, like sixties folk, like there's definitely a folk influenced here, including the acoustic guitar. And, and we're and not hearing a lot of rocking too. We're not hearing a lot of folk music in 2000 for yeah. sure. That has not, um, that hadn't hit. Yeah. I feel like that, that hit. Yeah. Just a few years later, we got a ton of that, but, um, we weren't hearing a lot of Dylan inspired stuff in 2000. I don't feel like, um, Chris, what are your thoughts on hold on? Yeah, it, 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 it sound, it, it, uh, I think green day did a cover of desolation row. No, maybe that was my kill romance. that did that. Anyway, this sounds like a green. This sounds like a Bob Dylan homage green day song. Like it's not too Bob Dylan on the nose, but it's got that harmonic and everything. Um, and, and like Kyle said, she's got those nice uplifting vibes. I didn't, I don't know why when I listen to green day, I don't listen to the lyrics very closely. I obviously need to take a stronger listen that you guys have mentioned it several times and it's dude, he's good. He's wonder, real good on this. Record. I wonder if I blocked it, blocked out all the lyrics because my parents, when I was younger, this, this album was a, this was a big deal when I got this, I had the little lightning bolt but it didn't have parental advisory. And I remember Hey, but, but by the way, that's another thing that's different about this album. We haven't talked about the albums oh. that came before it had explicit things throughout the track oh, listing. Man. This yeah. has one, uh, yep. explicit line word on the whole one line in the whole album. Yeah. But is, boy, but boy, does he say it? Yeah, but it's, <laughs> like, I mean, to me, that's a conscious decision, obviously oh, for right. one reason or another. And, and sometimes yeah. it's that like, Ooh, maybe I can be a little more powerful lyrically if I don't. You know, it's kind of like comedians that take the same route. It's like, it's actually harder to be funny if you don't curse, you know? Yeah. Um, and uh, and I, I kind of, I, I feel like it's, I mean, it had to be a conscious decision. I mean, there's just no way, especially throughout the rest of the albums and stuff. And so um, I don't, I'm, I say all the time on this podcast, I'm not a huge lyrics guy. It's not my favorite part of songs. It's not the reason I like albums. It's never the initial thing that I like about albums, but he has so many good lines that catch my ear. They make me want to check out the rest of the lyrics. If that makes sense. Like, and sometimes it might even just be the line. Like he also has one of those, the way he sings sometimes does not lend itself to understanding what he's saying. And it's better on this album than it was on the album before it. I mean, there were lines on old albums. I had to like look up in this pre-internet. It was like, you just had to guess what he was saying. If you didn't have the liner notes. Um, and, um, but there was always like a line at least that caught my caught my ear. I feel like he's just he's got at least one in every song that I like like that. So um yeah, good good stuff. Um and I definitely hear the influence of the things that he listed as influences for this album on that track. Uh let's go to track nine, Jackass. Oh, Ray, hurts on 
you guys know, as big of a fan of Billy Joel I, with an I L knew. as I am, I'm getting I the knew. sax solo in there, like without a doubt. Um, <laughs> Kyle, what are your thoughts on uh, on this track? I knew you would get the sax solo in it. there. I knew I could depend on you. And also, you're, I mean, dude, like, you know, we've talked about the 50s uh and like just the genres that he's hopping and also like i said at the beginning they said that each song could be its own theme right Mm -hmm. they want they placed them specifically but they wanted each song to almost feel like its own album this one dude like if you listen to billy joel the an innocent man record Mm -hmm. with with the horns like that is that sound right there dude 1982 uh freaking awesome but also the lyrics to this song are insanely good to know you is to hate you. So loving you must be like suicide. And then the line, well, everybody loves a joke, but no one loves a fool. I wrote that down. <laughs> too. That's a great line, which is why I do you like how I got that barely in the clip got, and the you sex got them both solo. In. You got them both in. I mean, the, he is such a good songwriter. You guys uh, said a couple songs ago, like he's he's storytelling, and that's what he and, and that's what good songwriting is. And 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 I guess more than that, like you're good at it when the story is able to be understood, right? When you when you hear it and you get what's going on. And I feel like he really, I agree with you. The records that came before this were all similar. And it's not that they weren't great. I freaking love Dookie. It changed my life. Yeah. I'd never heard anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I'm but, not dogging like, all the stuff that came before it at all. But like this is another, this is a, a next level. And knowing what comes next, without a doubt, like he is sharpening his skills, man. I agree. And, and it's Waiting just fun. It's fun for us to get to, to, to witness it, you know, to, to, to listen. It's, it's awesome. Chris thoughts. Oh yeah, I mean it's really hard to say. Kyle, <laughs> Kyle's very good at doing this on this, this album. This album is yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, this uh, the only note I I wrote down was, you know, the album cover is just them kind of like walking downtown Oakland probably, and this when you hear the saxophone solo and then think back to the album cover, I'm like, okay, I think this band maybe was also having a little bit of identity crisis right here. You know, because it, it it felt like the studio was like, oh, we're gonna do, or sorry, the label would be like, we're gonna do classic Green Day, you know, head down, you know, uh, leather jacket, uh, plaid shirt, and, and and that that the 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 look and feel of the album and the artwork is very like classic Green Day, but like they were clearly going in another direction, and it, it, nothing says that more loudly than a saxophone solo on a punk rock album. <laughs> yep, I I mean, yeah, at, at a time when. Uh, there's that great joke on 30 rock where it's like, she's having a nightmare because she thinks she's not going to have a job anymore as a writer. And it's like, she's, she's, she meets a, like a newspaper writer and a saxophone player that used to play (laughs) sax solos for rock and roll songs. And I can, and a a travel agent. I was thinking the same thing in 2000, a saxophone solo would have been like, Ooh, right. I mean, no, no one, it was not like they've come back now. Like now a lot of people are doing them, uh, based on like going back to the eighties, but really we haven't had sax solos since the late eighties at this point. And even Billy Joel is really hearkening back to fifties and sixties. He's hearkening back to like a Jersey doo-wop kind of thing on a lot of the stuff. And, uh, and it, bec- it becomes his thing, but like, and Bruce Springsteen always pulls it off. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Bruce has always had a saxophonist in the band and, and started 
in those decades, but right, you know, right. he like no one, and he wasn't in the pop charts in 2000 either. His song, his song that was popular then was, um, Oh, the rising, uh, right? Well, right. No rising's 2002. Oh, okay. Um, the, 2000 well right before 2000 is his like uh what's the soundtrack the jerry Maguire oh, Philadelphia. oh, oh that's Philadelphia. right both oh, of them that's right both of that, them yeah that and so they were more chill and they did not have sax solos uh and that was that's where we were with bruce springsteen even at the time and so um yeah I, i've always i played saxophone so i always loved saxophone solos finally got one on a record of my own this last year <laughs> took me my whole life to finally it's find great. the right tune to do it on. Um, but yeah, so I, I love it on this. And I think it's a, again, I think it's the most punk rock thing you can do when no one's doing saxophone solos, do a saxophone solo. Like that's, what's cool is to be, is to not follow what's the trend. And the trend is at least we are starting to get pop punk bands. You know, we're getting blink Wayne twos huge. Good Charlotte, as we mentioned, is selling more records than green day this year. Um, so like, pop punk has become trendy. It's on the top 10 of TRL like every day, like one of those bands is, and they're doing something different. And I think it's, um, I think that makes it punk rock and, and yeah. So let's go to, uh, track 11, uh, again, another, another single first single, right? Minority. Is that what the order was? Minorities first. No, we're, we're, okay. We're, single we're, we're on to waiting. Oh, sorry. We're on to waiting. You're right. Yeah. I, I skipped one. <laughs> sorry. My bad. That's what I get for skipping ahead early. Uh, so let's go to track 10 then. Waiting, not minority. Here we go. Well, I'm so much closer than I have ever known. Wake up! Dawning of a new era calling. Don't let it catch you falling. Ready or not at all. To be fair, I was kind of right. This was a single. It just wasn't yeah. the first single. Oh, um, so, uh, Chris, let's go to you first. I think this is one of the best pop songs Billy Joe Armstrong ever wrote. This is a perfect song. I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, dude. It, it immediately feels like a song you've heard a million times the first yes. time you hear it. It's And it gives me goosebumps to this day. They're right here. I mean, it is. Preach, Chris. I, I don't know what else you can say about it. It's perfect. It is a perfect pop song. I oh, do. Yeah. I do love. The end. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Uh, I do love the transition from the like the chorus to the end of the chorus. The wake mm-hmm. up and then the guitar. Oh, part. like the how it's just it a, walks it down. Oh, that part. I'm sorry. Um, I think it's a it's a really good transition. Um, Kyle, thoughts on on waiting? You also agree by the facial expressions. My my birthday buddy nailed it. But also, I think there's a couple more things you can say, and one of them is. Sacred Heart song for me. Oh, um, good call. Oh, good call, this, Kyle. This, this is a good Sacred Heart song. And what m- one of my favorite things about this song is um, like everything else on this record has been so on the nose and the ambiguity of, is he talking about new love or is he talking about new opportunities? Like, I'm not sure, but it feels hopeful in like the best possible way. Um, and, and like what's to me... The best songs are relatable. Like everybody thinks that, right? Like that, oh, the, I, I know what this song is about. I'm, I'm experiencing this exact same thing. And like he just covers a lot of ground with this one. Um, it's, it is, it is a perfect song. And the way you described it, Chris, is perfect. The first time I heard it, I felt like I'd heard it 
before. And, and like, I, it is an awesome freaking song. Underrated Green Day song for sure. I think it's definitely underrated. And I think that you're right. Lyrically, it's a good, um, it's vague enough that it's, it's, you're right, less on the nose than the other stuff. And it can mean different things to different people, which I think is a, um, another reason good riddance was such a huge hit for them. Like uh, yeah. again, like yeah. that song lyric, not only like it's a great song and it has the right feel for what, but like the lyrics of that, I mean, it was guys, good riddance was on the finale of Seinfeld for good. I mean, not the, the lead up the hour long special with the clips and all the stuff. That's the biggest song of the time on the biggest show of the year. I mean, I, I think to under like, which is why it was so shocking that the American idiot time comes around and some people didn't know that this band existed before that album. I'm like, Oh my gosh, they didn't just exist. They were on top of the world kind of. And um, it's weird that, yeah, this is a lull for them um, because I, I, I agree. There's nothing about this album so far that we're like, Oh, this is worse than the stuff that came before it. And uh, I just, I, I, I don't think it was all Napster either. I mean, I think it's no, it's um because Napster was not was not a super uh efficient way to get music. You no, know? like no. two two years later, we're talking a totally different thing. And, yeah. and honestly, that's even a difference between I don't have broadband internet in two thousand and I do by two thousand two. Yep. Um and 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 so do a lot of other people. And um yeah, you're right. It took forever. I couldn't have downloaded. I never downloaded a whole album because I was against it. But uh, I also probably couldn't have because. I downloaded every Metallica album because screw Lars. <laughs> yeah. All I didn't even them. like Metallica. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Um, you were just like, sue me. Try it. Um, yeah, but I, I just, I, I just, I do wonder. You're just, I go, what, ha- what else happened? What was the other, you know, I know platinum is not a bad thing, but you know, everything else before it's multi-platinum and, and uh, and you're right. They're like all of a sudden not headlining stuff. I mean, they were like on tour with Blink One Eight Two and and court sort of co-headlining. But there, I know well, no, there I, were a lot I, of people that thought that was crazy that Blink One Eight Two was like headlining. I mean, they played the same set times. They just played last. They switched to who played first and last and stuff. But well, the headlining tour they did for this album um, in 2000 was um, uh, the Get Up Kids was op- was the opening act. They played like the Brady Theater in Tulsa. Like, yeah. Not- not a giant venue, nothing crazy. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad they uh, <clears throat> had. I'm glad it wasn't for some people. This album that's like this is maybe the end. It, <laughs> and I, it, it could have it. been. It could have been. It yep. could have been. It could have been. Fe- it felt like I. It felt like that at the Brady Theater. That show felt like I love this band. It's really cool. They brought the guy on stage, you know, that they still do that shtick. And yeah. I remember loving it. But it, I remember thinking like, OK, this feels like it could be like the like the closing chapters. Thank God it wasn't. Yeah. 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 Uh, OK, now let's go to Minority um, and, and play that song. Okay, 
forgot to give the obligatory earmuffs. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I love it. It's kind of too good not to put it in there. No, um, you have to. Kyle, thoughts on minority? I mean, if if ever there were there needed to be an F word, that's a pretty good one. It has more uh, impact lo- though, right? It, I it, mean, it like does, but but even that line, dude, is so good. A free for all, f em all. You're on your own side. I freaking love that line. It's so good. Um, I love the uh, I love like the monotone uh, background vocal on that chorus. Yes, uh, I've always like, loved that so much. <laughs> so it is so awesome because like Billy Joe sounds so good and it sounds great with right. him. But if you like hone in on just that, it's like, oh, okay, well, they just brought someone in to sing that. And maybe it's Mike or or maybe it's Trey. I don't know. but <laughs> Or or maybe it's just uh, Billy Joe with a few drinks in him or something. Yeah, you know? maybe, maybe so. <laughs> but uh, I, I I love this song. And, and it, this song did get played quite a bit. And so the fact that I still love it, I think, is a testament to it being a great song. Also, um, it's kind of another one with a little bit of... I guess it kind of has like an Irish vibe to me. Definitely an Irish vibe. So, yeah. or sea shanty. One of you said earlier. Uh, shanty. Yeah. 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 Is it? It's shanty, not chanty. Shanty. shanty. <laughs> um. Yeah. I. You know. I'm. I am. Um, do. Am I the only one that's a little weirded out by this being the first single? Uh, no. I, I mean. I, uh, if you think about it like a record company, it makes perfect sense. That's what I was going to say. It just yeah. it just seems like the record label decision to me. It looked like he spent a lot of money in the video. There was like CGI. Maybe. I mean, it just, it felt like of all the songs on this record, it doesn't feel like the one that I would have used for the intro single for this album. Well, and the band put it at the end of the record. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I just, I, I think the label... If it if it was the label that picked this as the first single, which I, it's kind of one of those weird things. I would think that Green Day would have enough clout at that point that they at could, that point, yeah, um, kind of pick it. I mean, like you're not you you, you got to kind of work together or something, but it's not like it's Dookie Dookie. They had no say in the first single. I promise you. Um, so it it just feels weird. It feels like a like I would have done. I would have done a different to introduce this version of this band, I would have done something a little more in between the old version of green day and this, I would have picked something like deadbeat holiday or something, yeah. uh, just yeah. to be like, Oh, this it's kind of familiar, but it's different. You know, you can tell there's some differences or something or even warning. Like I, yeah, I, warning, like, I think it's a even warning would have been a great, a better first single because I think it, I think it better captures like the a, feel. like the feel of the well, record. And and be the like now maybe the acoustic thing was too much because they felt like they don't want to get pigeonholed into the Google Dolls thing where they're all of a sudden an acoustic band because two singles in a row are uh, acoustic driven. So I'm sure that had something to do with the reason Warning wasn't the first single. But you know, pick one of the other ones. I don't know. Oh, it feels weird. So here's one weird thing though. This song came out way before the record comes out. Oh yeah, way before this song comes out in August and before and the in October uh, is the yes. October. So I always felt like Warning was really the first single because that's because the one. That. Yeah, yes. but that's the other weird thing is that normally with a record, uh, well, maybe not as much when you're Green Day, but I feel like even back then, I felt like it was always you went to rock radio first and did 
and this is me like as if I did radio promotion back then. I had no clue. I could just no, but there was someone who's right. There's a formula. Was a formula. Yeah. A Tell us how people, it is. They released the first like kind of rock single that played on your rock stations and kind of got the the real the hardcore fans like excited or whatever. And then those people, and then, the, but the second single was the one that you went like, okay, this is a little bit more pop, you know, if someone was already pop. And so a great example of that is like uh bleed American Perfect uh, example. is exactly the first single. Of, it's a yeah. rock radio song. And then, and they don't do the middle until the second single. And, and, and you need way that away. lead up and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and Yellow Card's Way a good Away. example too. Way Away is the rock single, and then they, and then obviously like Ocean Avenue, and and then we get into um, Only One, you know, and stuff like that. And and so there is a, and you know, there are. I, I'm sure I could think of other ones that are in the same vein, and they were even doing that with those new metal bands you mentioned earlier, Kyle. I mean, it was they were releasing a single to rock radio first. And then the second single was trying to get more plays on pop top 40 and stuff like that. Totally. And uh, so that's why it feels like such a weird first single to me. Cause I think they would have picked something that like kind of got the, the old school green day fans a little more excited, um, especially two months before the album's released. Um, and then yeah, warning feels like the, the better, the good second single that leads up yeah. to a little more pop and a little bit more like, this is what the record is. And, um, so that feels like a weird thing. And I don't know, it may have had no effect on the record sales. Keep in mind, we're talking about like this slump that still sold a million records, this platinum slump. Like it's a platinum <laughs> slump. Uh, gosh, uh, that's just not that bad. Al- of a slump, Also but- recently, I, I did mean to tell you guys this. It, it's not just a platinum slump. It's a triple platinum slump. So. Oh yeah. Sorry. Oh, right. <laughs> Three. But uh, do you have when those numbers happened? Did it go triple? Yeah. So then? 20, 2012, it, by 2012, it had gone three and a half times million worldwide, but it, worldwide. but it went gold. It was gold in the U S I think by then, but certainly it's platinum in the U S by now. I mean, okay. So three and a half worldwide and yeah. platinum in the U S at this point, but still. lots of records, Yeah, lots of records, but less than their other ones had done uh, uh-huh. to that point. Um, and, and, uh, and, it's actually their least successful record, period. And to be fair, really successful albums in 2000 were still going diamond. They were still selling 10 million records. <laughs> right. Yeah. Did, uh, how many records did Hybrid Theory sell this year? I'm wondering. Oh, geez. Oh, gosh. That's a great that question. It was, wasn't it the biggest selling record of the year? It had to be. I know. It was gigantic. And it came out right after this record. I know um, that. A few, um, few weeks after. I know that in 2002. 12. 12 million. 12 million. That's millions. a lot of millions. That's a lot of records. Poor Green Day. They're like, we sold half of one, one million. <laughs> oh, <laughs> remember the nineties? <laughs> that's heartbreaking. I picture, I picture, I, <laughs> no, no disrespect, but I picture Billy Joe watching the video. <laughs> Shut up when I'm talking to you. Like, just <laughs> but I remember, okay, it happened. Because I remember in 2000, I remember in 2002, I I met with Atlantic at one point I was talking to and uh in their kind of lobby area that I was in I mean there were there was a case with I think six diamond records in it from that decade you know like that's <laughs> just one label had like six diamond records in this thing and uh so there were a million in 2000 a, mi- a million now would be a smashing success uh, oh, yeah. and, and and a million in 2000 was disappointing though for a band as big as Green Day which is I think now we've looked back and be like oh you have no idea how 
<laughs> you have no idea what's the coming. The future is dark. You have no idea what's coming. <laughs> we could go back in time and warn people. Okay, let's go to the last track, uh, Macy's Day Parade. have to slide this in there because i didn't think about this until you said it a couple songs ago this is my nomination for sacred heart song because it also feel but i think they both yeah. work really yeah. well but that says a lot you got two of them on one record yep. um kyle let's go to you uh what are your thoughts on the last track i mean dude i think it's i think it is the perfect ending to this record it's a great ending track uh it, it is such a good song again uh you know like we've seen how we've seen how sharp his tongue can be and for him to end on like this kind of like somber, hopeful, even uh note. I, I love, uh, I love, I love the, the way he changes the lyrics subtly and, and the way that it ends the, uh, and I'm thinking about a brand new hope. The only one I've never known. Cause I know it's all that I wanted. Like I, I, I freaking love it, man. It's he's, he is a killer songwriter. They're a great band. This is a kick butt record, and this is the perfect punctuation to to end it. So well said, Chris. Uh, thoughts on the last track? Three more. Um, yeah. Billy Joe can write a ballad, whether uh, you know for better or worse. Um, and this, God, we talk a lot of crap on last songs. We do. We do. And we do. It, it, Stuck like, the landing. I, yeah, I, I gotta say, exactly, exactly right. This is how you do it, guys. <laughs> take notes yes other yeah. bands from we, 2000s go back in time and make this well, kind right of song. now right now i mean yeah. like yeah the we talk all the time about track order and how important we think it is in making a great album uh and i think they nailed the first track and they nailed the last track and honestly they nailed everything in between too um and it's hard to it's hard to do a last track well, I think some people put too much pressure on it being sort of sentimental. This is just the right amount of sentimental. It's the right amount of like hopeful and it's the right still has the same vibe as the whole record. Sometimes people go kind of too off the rails for a last track. Um, you know, I like I think Paramore is one of those bands that like actually doesn't normally have a good last track on the record, even though I just I love their records so much. But I don't think they do that really well. That's not something they're awesome at. They kind of have this weird as I hit the mic uh, thing going on. <laughs> and, and I just feel, gosh, they just oh man, how you couldn't. I just don't think they could have ended this better. Don't think they. I cannot think yeah. of a way they could have done better um, with it's, this it's obvious that the, that the track order was important to them. Like, I really think it is. I think it's obvious that they, that they crafted this thing to be in the order that it is and that they put thought and time into it. I agree. Well, let's go to lasting impressions. <laughs> the, the first question is going to be d- the dumbest question I'm going to ask, which I, I say on a lot of podcasts, but definitely this one, uh, does it hold up fellas? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. I put, I yes. Mean, I, five times it's relevant now yeah but yes like five it. times i think it it sounds great songwriting's great lyrics are Perfect. still relevant 
so yes, I think it holds up. I mean, like, um, I think it holds up better than any of their albums, uh, in some ways. And let's yeah, get, so let's get to the next part and say, is it their best album? Uh, Chris, let's go to you first. Nope. He says, no, Kyle, what do you say? Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, for me, yes. And here's oh, really? the thing. Here, here's the thing. I love, I love Dookie. I love American Idiot. It is such an amazing record. When I think of like myself as an old man showing records to my grandkids, like making them listen to it, I'm not making them listen to American Idiot. I'm going to make them listen to this. So that's wow. why. It's beautiful. That's that's why. So uh, again, I'm uh, I'm in the weird position of not weird position, just of like I was not a huge Green Day fan at the time, uh, and I and I've always liked Green Day, but like I um, I don't know what I just I don't know what my deal was. I really don't. I can't. I don't have a good excuse for not liking them at at the time and place that this album was out. Um, and, and I didn't even not like them. I can't even think of the right way to say it, but. Um, so after listening to this, I was kind of like, you know what? I'm going to try to listen to as much of the green day catalog this week as I can. Uh, we had a pretty short lead up to picking this and recording it. Uh, we normally have a little bit more time, but, um, and I listened to a lot of it, including stuff from post, uh, American idiot that honestly, I did not ever give a chance at all. Uh, and I think so clearly this album was the catalyst for everything that came after it that um i think i might have to agree with kyle because it well of course this is kind of blurring the lines between the next question we're going to ask but like i can't find any fault with it if that makes any sense whereas like i can find little things i maybe don't or i think there's a song or two on dookie that i don't love i mean there's a bunch that i really love uh but there's a song or two that i could take or leave essentially and i do feel like the two albums that came after that i didn't like much i mean insomnia and 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 uh, nimrod Nimrod felt so much like dookie and because i got into them later i didn't like them as much because i thought dookie was like like very superior to those next two that came after it And and those are fine albums too but like um you know, this has a lot of the same feeling as like, I even got into like that uh, Uno Dos Trey thing that they mm-hmm. released three albums in 2012, yeah. which is insane to me. Um, yeah. And, and there's a lot of the same vibe of this album um, on those and stuff. And so I just think that I can't find any fault in this album. I like the production. I like the songwriting. I like the lyrics. I like the, I like the musical direction. I like the, the throwback to fifties and sixties stuff. Uh, that hadn't gotten any kind of love for quite a while in pop music. I love that he's embracing pop sensibility. So I just, I really, I think it might, I think I might agree with Kyle. Um, and, and keep in mind that's coming from a not, not the biggest green day fan in the world. Like I, I really, and, and I think this album now in listening to it a bunch for the last couple of weeks has made me go, I really need to give all these albums like a lot more chance because I, I just realized like how, I always knew he was a good songwriter and I was, I w- would have always said that they were one of the better like um, performing bands as far as like, they are really tight. I, I think they are the best punk rock band that's ever been around. I'm oh, just yeah. less of a punk rock fan than Kyle and Chris are. Does that make, does that make sense? 
where I am. So, to me. so I feel like as an outside, as a little bit of an outsider, it's not like I'd never heard this album before. It's not like I never heard green day before. Um, but I'm really curious about like playing this for my kids now. Like same, we've talked about that test of like, how do you, and right. I'm curious to see like, you know, when you take all the context out of something and you're just playing, like here's an album. Um, and you don't have to worry about what the critics said or what the fans said or anything like, do you like this? Um, also I'm, I'm curious to see what happened. I was listening to this at work all day and they're all at school now. So they didn't get a, a hang out with me and listen to it. So, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, but I, that's where I, I land on that. So what about, is it their most important album, Kyle? Let's Ooh. go to you first. So this is where it gets tough. It does. Because, um, because I think, I think numbers wise, American idiot is, is what makes them gigantic, right? Like they're just be, they're in the stratosphere from from American Idiot. Yes, and, and so like, but you guys said it multiple times, and I agree. I don't think you write American Idiot without making this record. Yep. And so maybe, and and not only that, but like the the mixture of that, or the the two ingredients of that, and this feeling like maybe it wasn't a success. Like, I don't know, man. I, I don't know that you get, it was like the perfect storm, you know, like, I don't know that you get American idiot without this. And so, uh, I'm going to say it could go either way between this and American idiot. I did want to tell you guys, I, I don't want to derail us too far, but everyone should listen to, uh, there's an album that Billy Joe did with Nora Jones. It's really amazing. I know it's weird. What? It's called. That sounds For- awesome, dude. Yeah, she's it's called- fantastic. So I'm it's Billy called. Great. It's called Foreverly, and it's them doing Everly Brothers covers, and it really showcases like Billy Joe's not changing his voice, but there's not punk rock music behind it, and it actually showcases like holy crap, this dude can sing. Yeah, they sound so good together. You guys should listen to that record immediately if you haven't heard it. So, oh, dude, I'm foreverly. I'm going to jam. Sorry, sorry to derail us, but that's all right. No, uh, no. Chris, uh, where are you at on um, on? Is it their most important album? No, it just can't be because of American Idiot. Just can't. That album. Is it, what made them superstars? They're playing stadiums because this album bridged the gap to that. That you get there, uh, but yeah, I, I just it's it can't be the most chicken important. egg thing, man. Yeah, it exactly is very that. much chicken egg. So I'm 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 in the same boat here. So here's here's a couple of my thoughts, and I've said a couple of these already. So first, like the embracing of the pop sensibilities, the guitar tone change that we then see, and. Mm-hmm. And, and lyric styles and kind of concept album, kind of the starting points, especially when we talk about the song Misery. And I feel like, and then and then the lead back into that kind of becoming a whole storytelling album on American Idiot. Um, it's it's hard to say because I, I feel like in one way, the fact that this didn't go well, you know, because we only sold a million or three million records eventually, or, you know, at the time, it wasn't probably quite platinum when they were deemed a uh, critical success, but not a commercial success on this album um, comparatively to the stuff that had come before it. Uh, Cause all three of the albums before that were multi-platinum uh, and, but it's like without this album, American idiot doesn't happen. Like I just, right. I think that if they would have, if they would have, um, 
if they would have done an album like Nimrod uh, or those, those three that came before it, I think that the sales are even less maybe because it's not like people are into the shiny thing. Now they mentioned, we mentioned the new metal thing. We mentioned the kind of like shiny high production pop punk kind of thing. The really <clears throat> pop side of pop punk blink way Two, good Charlotte, those kind of things. And I just wonder, um, you know, like where do you like, it is kind of chicken and egg. Like I don't think American idiot happens without this album. So it's so hard to say like, but obviously success wise, like American Idiot, you're right, is is what launches them into the stratosphere. Um, I'm trying. I'm looking up numbers right now. Um, they have sold 85 million copies worldwide. <laughs> uh, 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 combined all of their stuff, and I think 25 in the U.S. Uh, is is that? Um, gosh, I mean, and it, but American Idiot does go 14 million worldwide. Um, and 6 million copies in the United States. So they go from selling basically less than a million of warning. Cause I guarantee warning. I bet a bunch of those warning sales are post American idiot. No, yeah, you're probably uh, right. A ton of them. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think I give the edge to Chris on American idiot because, you know, it's huge. It does. It, it introduces an entire new generation to the band. And there's just something to be said about that. When that happens to a band, I can't, there are not that many bands that that gets to happen to. Like, I don't think we can overstate how, how rare that is. I mean, I can think of a handful of bands that like, that you go to a show and you see like parents with their kids that are selling out arenas. If that makes sense. You know? Yeah. Chris, you said the, you said the keyword stadiums stadiums it, right it it, it it turned them into a they stadium went right band. they went from i, I remember uh, or, or even just an arena because I, I remember being yeah. like I, I was talking about earlier I, do you guys also if you look at the wikipedia article it's even the, the title of this era is middle years and decline in commercial success i mean mm-hmm. they were they were on the downslope it's all it's all bs now but yeah it, 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 american idiot yeah so it just it, has to be but it also it really makes me appreciate that they stuck with it and yeah. like they love music they just they, love playing music well they not just care. but not even just stuck with but like stuck with like the hey we actually like i can tell they were really proud of this album and they were like no yeah. we did something right and we're gonna improve upon it yep with american yep. idiot um because like we we get the storytelling thing we get the kind of concept album we get the um we get some of the guitar tone stuff that we we had we get the like not being chained to being a three piece thing, which is, this is the first album they experiment with. You got everything before that is like, we're a three piece and we're not doing anything like everything on the record. They could do live essentially very little kind of overdubby multiple guitars and stuff. And this is the first record they go, you know what? We're going to have this guy come uh, join us who eventually uh, officially joins the band and then leaves. I think like six years after that, 2016 or something like that. So eventually they become a four piece because of, of this album and the guy that ends up playing with them on the road and stuff. So I, you know, in some ways, you know, cause by American idiot, they're playing with, uh, there's four extra players on stage. They got seven guys on stage to do all the stuff that's happening on American idiot. And by the way, if you can find like the, the live concert, uh, kind of stuff from back in the American idiot days, like, man, like if you've not, if you've never gotten to see, I've never gotten to see green day live, like in person, but, just the the like dvd or whatever i mean i think i saw it on like palladia or, or mtv2 or whatever it was back in the day um but fuse maybe something like that but gosh it's unbelievable uh That's and, so and they're even yeah. like they're even multi-parting the old songs on some of them some of them they go to three piece and they just do them but like 
I just love it. I think that, so it's really hard to pick between those two. This has been the hardest of the, is it their most important album question for me? Normally we kind of blow by some of these questions, but this one is, I think the, the toughest question for me uh, of the albums we've done thus far. Okay. So let's get to awards. Kyle, Desert Island songs, two or three of your favorites. Can you even pick two or three? <laughs> uh, it's, it feels so wrong for me to leave them out. Right. But I'm, I, I guess because you're making me, I'm making you. I I'm gonna go with waiting, jackass, and and warning. Chris, what are your three? Uh, I was two two for three on the birthday buddy. Warning, waiting. The two songs that start with W and misery is number three for me. Mm. Misery man. is a great song, man. It's a great song. I would have put Castaway in there if I could have four though. You know, which I, technically I now have since I said it out loud. I think they can't do it. Get take it back. <laughs> Shut up. Edit it out. Take it back. Take it. Uh, I think I am not overlapping with you all at all. Really, I'm going church on Sunday, Castaway, and Deadbeat Holiday. Great songs. I but I think that's that, a te- it's a testament to testament. the quality album. When yeah. we don't have the same three songs, that means it's tough. Generally, um, and uh, don't you dare say what you're about to say. That has no place in this podcast. What was I going to say? <laughs> That Poe Buddy's nerfed. Nobody's perfect. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, okay. Just sorry. Nobody's perfect. Is I mean, is there? There's nothing, right? Does anyone have a nobody's perfect on this? I don't. I mean, misery no. is the most like out of left field yeah, song, yeah. and you could. But it's amazing, but but it's such a lead up to what comes afterwards that I think that you can't. Um, I couldn't say nobody's perfect on it because it's still it's an awesome execution of a of definitely stylistically something really weird, but, uh, and, and out of, out of, out of left field for them. But no, I, I agree. There's, there is no, nobody's perfect on this. Um, I can't think of one. What about growing out of shower? What's the song you, uh, maybe didn't like at first, but now love. You know, for me, like when I first listened to the album, I, I didn't really notice waiting. I, isn't that weird? Like I just did, didn't, it, it, there was so much going on in this record. Like I just didn't notice it. Like I, 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 I feel about it now. It is the simplest song on the whole record. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a fair point. And so it's easy to overlook, but it's very hard to do simple. Well, mm-hmm. so I can see why that would be one. Kyle, do you have one? No, I don't think I do. I mean, I think, I think I was into it all. I do think that, I do think that as a green day fan, it was a little jarring for it to be so different, but I think I am. I think I remember kind of embracing it. I mean, I I love this record, man. It it is. I texted you, dudes, what two weeks ago. This is this is my favorite Green Day record. It's one of my favorite records of all time. I mean, I told you tonight I'm going to play it for my grandkids if I have them someday. Like it's, it, it it's it's perfect for me. Yeah, this is definitely one I'm getting on vinyl at this point. After oh, really diving into it, it for this one, I'm like, I need this one. So. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to say I don't really have a grower, not a shower because I didn't, I, I don't feel like I was steeped in this enough in 2000 to have one that grew on me, if that makes sense. Uh, so I don't think I can say I've got a grower, not a shower, um, for sure. So, uh, any, any last thoughts, fellas, before we wrap this thing up? Uh, we obviously could talk about green day a lot. I thought we might wrap this up in less than an hour. Yeah, I thought half, this was going to be super chance. fast. Yeah. <laughs> It's such a good record, man. Yeah, they're the, they're the kings of punk rock, without a doubt. I mean, 85 million copies worldwide. Uh, they're literally right now playing baseball stadiums. 
yeah like, tonight i know that's it uh, <laughs> somewhere yeah. uh that there's just there are no other punk bands that are even close to that uh, i mean to be fair they're on tour with fallout boy right now but they f- they're so far away from punk rock at this point that oh, i'm not gonna yeah. qualify that as 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 counting that's not a dog on on fallout boy i'm just saying that's not what they are they're a pop band. shots fired they're a pop band i mean that's that's yeah. what yeah. they are um at this point and that, that's fine uh uh but uh dude i'm just... kicking myself for not getting tickets to that show by the way interrupters weezer yeah, Boy, Green Day? the what weezer set looks pretty fun man have you seen the 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 setup of their stage they got like a like eight kick drums on stage spelling out weezer it looks pretty great yeah um, uh i i and also another band i i love that i've not seen since 2002 so uh i probably should have uh traveled for this one but uh what are you gonna do um well i guess that's it for us thanks for listening again if you like what you hear please consider giving us a five-star review on itunes it helps us out it helps uh, people find the podcast and stuff tell your friends about the podcast subscribe to the podcast so they just show up on your phone and you can send us your comments your disagreements your suggestions to info at finding emopod.com or on any of the social medias at finding emo pod uh we'd love to hear your opinions and honestly if you didn't give this uh uh, album uh, a, a chance or maybe you're one of the younger uh, people listening to this podcast that got in on the American Idiot side you should definitely go listen to this thing in headphones I highly suggest headphones for this album uh, that's for it that's it for us we will catch you next time Bye. Bye.